I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. A protest ends outside a former Mayo hotel. The premises in Ballon Road was initially earmarked for men seeking asylum. The Department of Integration now says families will be housed there. Public representatives here in Balrog were put under serious pressure uh, with the lack of clarity, lack of cooper- uh, communication and collaboration. We also debate planned reforms of the child maintenance system, which will make those who dodge child support pay up. And in Hollywood, Golden Globe success for Irish actor Killian Murphy as blockbuster movie Oppenheimer sweeps the boards. To all, all my fellow nominees, if you're Irish or not, you're all legends. Your stunning work, I salute you. A protest outside a former hotel in Ballinrobe in County Mayo has ended after those involved got assurances that the property would be used to house families seeking asylum. The premises was initially due to accommodate adult male international protection applicants. However, the Department of Integration has confirmed that while the building had been earmarked for 50 men, it will now be used for families and children. The government says the decision is unrelated to the recent protests and was taken at the weekend. Well, earlier I spoke to one of the organisers of that Ballon Road protest, Carla O'Connor, and asked her was the protesters' issue specifically with male migrants? Yeah, I'd say so because we don't know who they are. They've flown in. Most of them have ripped the passports up. There's no documentation. There's no background checks on them. It's like if I wanted to go into Australia now to go and live, I have to have a criminal record check. I have to have a visa. I have to prove that I can work. I have to have a skill. And I have to have a load of money first to get into the country. Uh, to pay down for for a work permit or a visa. Okay. So, and when you when you no, hear when you hear the government and the justice minister saying that they are, it's not a case of of migrants being unvetted. That they are questions are asked of them, and then they go through a full process. Uh, you still uh, take issue, and you still have concerns with it, but you don't take issue with with families moving in. Is that what prompted your decision to end this protest? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it gave us reassurance. We were told on Saturday um, by uh, Councillor Burke that he was assured that it was going to be that, that the males were called off and women and children were going to move in. And I asked him, can you please prove some sort of documentation to prove that? And we he showed me a text message. But to the myself and the rest of the protesters, it wasn't good enough. We wanted to see solid any, um, evidence that these guys were not going to be entering the property. We were told on Friday night it was set in stone. They were going to start coming on Monday. This is what Councillor Burke said to us during his speech Mm. and the protest. And that's what we were told was happening. And that got everybody's back up. Everybody was very angry that this was, was done without consultation, wasn't talked about to the rest of the town, to 
councillors of, of um, Ballinrobe, the, the politicians, nothing was, was discussed with anybody. Right. It was literally just sprung on us. Okay, so when we hear the argument um, about a stretch on services, uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't your issue. Um, do you believe that, that your feeling and your, um, your opinion around all of this is the same as, as every one of those people who was gathered there since the, the start of the weekend, Carla? Absolutely. And there is a, there is a problem with services in Ballinrobe. We barely have enough um, doctors to go around for ourselves here that have lived here in the town for as long as we have. I'm, I would like the families to be in, but they need to be resourced. Like there has to be resources for them. Like for me, it, it would be a nice thing. It's not a nasty thing what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm hoping that he can provide resources and make sure the safeguarding these children because earlier on this morning, I wasn't told it was just families. I was told it was families and single males mixed. And then my problem was then a child protection issue. So if the inverted males that are in these places are in this place and then you've got families, what about the safeguarding of the other children? What do you that are say, though, the Carla, when you, you've um, spoken about single males there again and you've outlined very much your concern about having single males, um, you know, being brought into your community, that, you know, mm -hmm. that, that the comments that you're making are stirring mm -hmm. up hate? I don't think they're stirring up hate. And it's the truth. It's what everybody else in the town is saying. that They're agreeing with me. Most of them are. Was Carlo O'Connor speaking to me a little before uh, we came on air? Well, I'm joined in studio now by Minister of State and Fine Gael TD Neil Richmond, Louise Bayliss from Focus Ireland and Spark, Gripped Media Editor John McGurk, and we're joined on Skype tonight from County Mayo by Joe Daly, who's a member of United Against Racism and is also a People Before Profit local election candidate. You're all very welcome along to the programme uh, tonight. I want to come to you first, Neil Richmond, on this. Could you outline the communication from the Department of Integration on this? Because they said in a statement this afternoon, while initially earmarked for adult males, there is now an acute shortage of accommodation for families and children. And it's now intended to place families into this property in the coming days. When did the department decide this? Uh, over the weekend, the most recent communication up to, the, up to today was made on the 4th of January to all the local representatives in Ballinrobe, clarifying that the property was under consideration for accommodation for international protection, identified initially for male, uh, male um, protections. We have 457 people needing accommodation at the moment. There's spaces for 50. Over the weekend, it was looked at it, and we looked at the demand, and the demand fluctuates, and it was deemed uh, to change it to families, and that's something. But, Claire, can I just go on there? just to make one point in response to some things Kira said there, and I don't want to lay with this, but one of the big issues about this debate is we talk about misinformation and disinformation. And what that interview that I just saw was one of the most depressing things that I saw from Kira, because it was littered with disinformation and misinformation. And we use this trope again about unvetted males. We talk about the Australian system. We talk about people being flown in, documentation being ripped up. And I have to say this, because this is feeding in to misplaced fears. It's utter rubbish. And that lady has form when it comes to protests. And what she said throughout the day is clearly wrong. And it's not helping a situation. Ultimately, we have 457 people fleeing war and persecution in this country who need accommodation. We will provide them accommodation. And when someone organised protests and riles people up and feeds into what is clear racism and anti-immigration rhetoric on the internet, it has to be called out. And I just couldn't go on after sitting through those four minutes. And you challenged her rightly and correctly. But there was just every second sentence 
Um, you know, everyone knows this. It's the talk of the town. It was simply false. It was simply incorrect. And when you heard Carla saying there that everyone who was protesting with her was of the same opinion, what do you say to that? Well, it's factually incorrect because we see literally a couple of hours ago there were still protesters at the site who saying Ballinrobe say no, people who weren't from Ballinrobe saying Ballinrobe say no, no to illegal immigration, no to immigration, foreigners now, Ireland is full. We saw that going around the internet. And then we also saw the same person saying local businesses were supporting them and sending out free food. But yet when people contacted those local businesses last night, they said, no, they were ordered up and paid for. We're just doing our job. So I think this is a deli deliberate tactic that can't go All unchallenged. Right. OK, but let's talk about the government mm. response to this. Um, we did have a clarification from government sources this evening following that statement that the decision was unrelated to recent mm. protests and was taken over the weekend. Yeah. The protest started on Friday, mm -hmm. but it had nothing to do with the protest that this decision, uh, a centre that was earmarked for men, was now you know, destined to house families and children had nothing to do with the protests. It had nothing to do with the protests because, as I say, there's people who are looking for accommodation when they are ready for accommodation. That is fluctuate. That moves. We react to see what accommodation right. is made available. And I'm just wondering with that, because mm -hmm. the government is concerned about protests like this taking place. You mm. talk about misinformation and disinformation. If the intention was there and protests began on Friday, why was this communication only released officially today? And so we had a continuation of protests on Friday, on Saturday, on Sunday and today, right up until this afternoon. When a final decision was taken today so, to allocate it to families and that was communicated clearly to the challenges. So that was today the decision the challenges. It wasn't made over the weekend. It was made over the weekend, finalised today when everyone was in to make that decision and communicated appropriately through the elected representatives today in a four-day period. Because one of the big issues with a lot of these so-called protests, um, Claire, is you have people who are going on assuming sites, assuming things. I saw it in my own constituency last week where people entered into a site that was going under renovations, shoving a camera in a builder's face saying you're putting in unvetted migrant males here was well, completely false. So because you have to see that these things move quick. We are in an emergency situation. 457 people are without beds tonight. The state has an obligation morally and legally to find accommodation for them. We will. We take sites. And we've been talking about this, when it, be it in relation to international protection or people fleeing the war in Ukraine for two, two years now, saying that we are looking at all accommodation possible. I've been on this show before getting beaten up that we're not doing enough to find accommodation. We do it quickly. Quickly, we turn it around rapidly. We communicate it to the local representatives. Okay. Louise, what do you make of the communication strategy around this? I mean, this is the criticism from government that, uh, or, or towards government that we hear about, you know, uh, and we hear it from those who are protesting today. We weren't told about this. We weren't consulted. Yeah. There may be other reasons as well that they're unhappy. But this is what this is. I, I this is the, among the reasons. Yeah, I think the for communication needs to be strengthened up. And initially, when the emergency response happened, the communication was very poor, and that was understandable because we were in a crisis situation and we were, you know, on the huff trying to work out things. And I totally accept that. But we're nearly two years on since the Ukraine war, and we know how these things happen. We know that in the absence of information, misinformation, and disinformation comes. People live in a state of fear, and if the only information that they're coming from is a certain group of people, people will latch onto that. I think it's unhelpful when people, you know, call the likes of the protesters in Ballinrobe, the local protesters who had genuine fears, call them far right. They were people in a community who had legitimate things. Now, other people jumped onto that and spread misinformation and disinformation. But that could have been sorted if there had been a better communication How strategy. How do you think that, that, well, that could have worked? Well, for instance, and I know it's not the same as in that it's not an emergency, but 
when Focus Ireland make you know created new development, we come across opposition from communities where they think we're going to put putting in you know homeless people with me, mental health or drug issues, and we come across that. But we do an awful lot of groundwork with community groups, with residential developments, residential associations, with local councillors, so that by the time it comes in, the community are aware that the people are going to be supported, that we will deal with antisocial behaviour, we will put the supports in, and the communities are generally welcome. I accept, you know, that we can't do that in the emergency situation, but we can have, use the resources in a town, like the family resource centres, use all of these local on-the-ground organisations. Neil, are they being used? Are those resources being used? They are being used, but I think there's one thing to distinguish when people talk about communications and consultation. This doesn't give anyone a veto. People can't say no um, to people coming in to live in their town, be they um, refugees, be they members of the travelling community, women's refuge, which we would have seen in the past, and indeed social housing or homelessness. So there is a difference. We communicate, but it is rapidly evolving. We communicated first and foremost through the elected representatives, be they in the Oireachtas, be they at local level, but also through those community facilities. Certainly in my own constituency, I think of one centre where they brought in local church groups, the mosque and other charities, and it's been seamlessly integrated do you think it's working, your communication? Um, I think, on the whole, it's working to an extent, but I think but there's abs- these protests. There's abs- I mean, they're not, that's not isolated, what we saw in Balmerobe. No, it's not isolated, but we've, we've, we've nearly 200... Think, in Kilkenny ongoing, elsewhere around the country. Claire, we, we, we have nearly 200 of these new reception centres uh, created in the last 18 months. We've seen protests at about half a dozen to a dozen. We've seen protests at buildings that were completely unrelated, not earmarked. There are people who will always seek to protest, and indeed set fire to these buildings regardless of any communication. Okay, what we heard um, from Neil there, and we we heard it from Helen McEntee earlier on today, John, is nobody has a right to decide where anybody lives here. Would you agree with that? That's bizarre coming from this government. I mean, uh, how many members of this government have supported uh, objections to planning processes? Neil, in 2015, I think it was, voted against a halting site. No, I didn't uh, actually, John. No, no, sorry. When this, you were a councillor. No, no, you, this is, I never vote. No, no, because this is factual correct. And I kind of knew you were going to bring this up. I feel go, voted against an overall development plan. That's like saying that anyone well, who votes against a development plan and accommodation plan is voting against halting site. Well, You're deliberate. No, no, this is misinformation, John. And this is a deliberate is fact. You've taken seventh, something. Seventh or eighth time you've used that phrase. And we have something because to say it's for that. true. But your constituency colleague, uh, Josie Fermat. Yeah, but no, no, no. Hold on. You've made an accusation a... against me, which I've proven to be false. And you've just moved you on to someone else. You've proven to be false. No, you've said, you can you said I voted against it as part of a wider development plan. Therefore, I didn't vote I voted against the plan. Which I didn't include a halting site. John, every local Don't development plan... Don't blame me, blame the no, Irish no. Independent. All right, John, just to go back look, to it, because that was a vote that was, let's say, taken at council level or whenever else it was. Politicians, in this instance here... Politicians in, let's in, just the, get back to the, that politicians were in the Dáil have consistently, for years, supported at local level objections against residential developments. Uh, Dublin is littered with housing, uh, with objections to housing and residential developments. But when they're done through the county council with lawyers, nobody gives, gives a hoot. There's no planning permission. The people in oh, Ballon right. Robe didn't have an opportunity to object to onboard Panola about what was happening here, the way somebody who objects to a 200 apartment development in Sandyford might. Um, the idea that you don't have the right to decide who lives beside you is completely false and it's only applied in this one specific situation as it applies to immigration. If you have to house people at accommodation, say, for example, Louise is talking about homeless accommodation that's being given, you're not going to see the same level of protest, are you? I, I don't think you are, but we no. have protests here for a specific reason. I've so heard... it's protest, it's, it is protest with, a, 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 I suppose, a, a certain agenda. But do you believe in this um, decision by the department um, to move families and children uh, to, to this former hotel in Ballinrobe, do you think locals are being pacified here? Uh, absolutely. 
I mean, I, I, I don't believe the cock and bull story. This changed over the weekend because it was a sudden change of need. Um, I mean, it is quite obvious, and I think the message people will take away from this is that the protest achieved a particular result and changed the outcome. If the government wants to have a bad communication strategy, that is what has been communicated here. So perhaps it's another example of that. But I want to come back to this idea, the, the really insulting idea against somebody who, I don't know the woman from Adam, but she's not an heir to defend herself, but the, the idea that the lady from Ballinrobe was engaged in misinformation and disinformation. They were told that there were 70 men coming to their, to their town, which was true. She said they are unvetted. That is true. She said many of them are arriving here without passport documents. Neil, that no, no, is no, true. So, no, 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 sorry. So you were allowed to blather right. No, well, once you falsely you accuse can, me of voting against can, something that you didn't, so you, you let can, me interject you and say that they're falsely when coming I've up. Finished. Neil. Okay, well, speak um, accurately, and you have still haven't withdrawn that accusation on the halting site, which was blatantly incorrect. You voted against a development plan which the halting site was a part. It was in the Independent in 2015. You okay, take no, it up that's a complete misrepresentation of fact. Take it up with them. It's no, I'm taking it up with you because you've made the accusation live on air, which is baseless. I have I've repeated what the Irish Independent reported in 2015. No, you didn't. You made it out that I did. You've had more than opportunity to, to John, say your piece. John, could you, uh, could you just finish your point that you were making about the concerns that Carla O'Connor had, uh, specifically about male migrants, and, and, and how you don't, yeah. you don't believe that there's disinformation or misinformation there at play no, there? What she said was that people are coming into the country, they're unvetted, they don't have papers. This is, this is all factual. It's not the case in every situation. Are you vetted? Um, I mean, what does it mean? Well, well, what it means, for example, at, at a very base level, Talking about misinformation and disinformation, Neil said uh, a few minutes ago that we have four hundred. I've just asked you a question. Are yeah, you I, are you you're are you an unvetted male? I, I, if I was to apply for a job working with kids in this country, I'd have to go through guard of vetting. Yeah, okay, but there are none, lots none of these of men are. Through none of these men are. Every teacher in the country goes through guard okay. of vetting. If, I'm just I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm talking about the language around this. In every this. other situation, if mm. somebody, if an Irish person, for example, with a criminal record for sex offences, moves into an area, they are vetted and they're on a guard but, of watch list. But can I just that is something? not the case if somebody okay. comes overseas and has not had a passport. It is complete nonsense to suggest that there's no concern here that's valid. There's absolutely a concern that's valid. But, but there, is a, there is a concern. I did see misinformation there on what Carla said. She started equating an Irish person travelling to Australia and the, the difference into getting into migration. That's migrant and that's being a migrant. Refugees are completely different. Many mm -hmm. of them do not have access to get vetted in first places. You know, if you're coming from turmoil, who's going to do your guard uh, vetting? I also, think... you're not maybe going to have the paperwork. I think... All of it, to compare a refugees fleeing from war to somebody from Ireland travelling to well, Australia, they're two different first of all, things. These people... and that you, sh you can't compare those two things. John, really? Because, Carla's, yeah, because, just, because Carla is not here to respond no, to that. But, but, Do you want to respond to that? Yeah, there's a couple of things. First of all, we keep calling them refugees. They're not, they're applicants. And we were told a few minutes ago there are 457 people fleeing war and famine. We don't know that because their applications have not been adjudicated. Yeah, asylum seekers, international protection applicants. They are asylum seekers, applicants. international okay. protection applicants. That is the first thing. Secondly, and I think what the, the root cause of all of this is, is that the government have a policy which is essentially unlimited and says we will take an unlimited number of these people, up to 15,000 this year, and you have no upper cap on that. If it's 100,000 next year, you're committed to accommodating 100,000. If it's 200 year, a year after that, you're committed to accommodating 200,000. And if you want to know if there are concerns about the number of people coming into the country, there absolutely are, and that is driving a lot of the concern in these communities, as well as concern about All safety right. and resources. Can we let, and, and, can we let the, the Neil government. respond to that? Um, so just on, a, a few points for the, the interest of clarity, and John's offered up a generalisation there. Firstly, international protection applicants most of them are actually taken already from camps and they process through, through European Union 
resettlement. When you come to this country as someone who's seeking asylum, seeking refuge, yes, you're put through, you are fingerprinted, you're biometrically tested, your identity is established, it's run through Interpol, it's run through Europol. They are vetted. When John buys a house and moves into next someone, he's an unvetted male. So I think throwing out that trope is unhelpful. When we talk about people who are coming into this country, the vast majority, yes, they're seeking asylum. Some have already been recognised as asylum seekers, as refugees. We have a strong, clear system to bring people in. And when we talk about you know, scramble up with migration for work permit processes into Australia, I think it deliberately spreads different information and needs to be called out. OK, I just want to bring Joe Daly in at this point. Uh, Joe, you're a member of United Against Racism. You're based there in Mayo. We have heard the sentiment on the ground from Carla O'Connor um, and others earlier today in the, in the town of Ballinrobe. Do you believe uh, those protesting do represent um, the, the concerns of people in Mayo? Uh, I believe that they represent the concerns of a minority of people, a very small minority. Um, I used to live in Ballinrobe. Uh, I am a member of the United Against Racism group. We have members uh, in, living in Ballinrobe, and we know that there are uh, a lot of people aghast and uh, appalled at this protest that's been held in Ballinrobe. We have uh, a new group set up uh, by local people called the Ballinrobe for All group, and they uh, intend to and uh, counter a lot of the uh, misinformation that's been spread. But, I mean, I've been uh, uh, an anti-racist activist in Mayo now for a number of years. We saw this same process unfold in Ackle. We saw local councillors, Fianna Fáil councillors, uh, pulling together a meeting, a public meeting, and that meeting was hijacked by uh, members of the far right to spread uh, hate and division. Um, Do you think communication, just it, briefly, Joe, because we're short on time, communication should be better um, on this from government. Do you think they could do something? Um, that, I do think that, that communication is absolutely vital. Look, I think it was it was very disrespectful the manner in which the Department of Integration and the government uh, informed the local community. Absolutely, and that fed into fears. But I would like to look a little bit deeper as to where these fears are coming from, where this this irrational fear of of uh, male migrants comes from and how it feeds into that old trope that was used against Irish migrants abroad for years. And I believe that there's no greater spreader of disinformation than one of the individuals there at your table, uh, John McGurk, and his disinformation site, Grip Media. Uh, it's been found by uh, the Institute of Strategic Dialogue, uh, which made a very significant report based on 13 million posts on social media that Grip Media was one of the main spreaders of disinformation in relation to right. uh, uh, anti-immigration sentiment. I just want to give, I think I'd it's... like to give uh, John a chance to respond to that, if I may. I mean, I, I find Go it ahead. hilarious. I mean, two things. First of all, the premise that the, the communities across the country are going to suddenly accept hundreds, if not thousands of people moving into villages and towns across the country with no background, if only it is communicated a little bit more clearly. Secondly, the idea that somebody from people before profit of all, of all, of all parties is going to sit here and accuse me of misinformation or disinformation. Grip Media is a member of the Press Council of Ireland. We are obliged to uphold the same standards in, as the Irish Times, the Irish Independent, the Irish Examiner, and all the rest of them. Disagreeing with our editorial, disagreeing with our editorial, major spreader of disagreeing with our disagreeing with our editorial line and repeating. The International Fact Check Network. All right, uh, I'll tell you what, gents. We're just going to leave it there. We need to take a break. Do stay with us. We'll be back in a moment to continue this discussion.
Welcome back. Fine Gael, Minister of State, Neil Richmond, Louise Bayless from Spark, John McGurk from Gripped Media are all still with me. I'm also joined by family law solicitor Keith Walsh because we'll also be discussing uh, reforms to the child maintenance system. But first, back to that protest in Ballinrobe. And also still with us is Joe Daly, member of United Against Racism in Mayo, uh, who's with us on the line. Uh, Joe, just to return to you, um, the decision made by those protesting to stand down their demonstration when they were informed that families and children were moving in instead of men and would be housed at the hotel. What message? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you believe that sends out? We appear just to have lost uh, Joe at that point um, um, on this, but I, briefly to come to you on it, um, Neil, because I know we heard mention there of Fianna Fáil councillors and there was a lot of criticism at the time of um, the, the Galway fire about comments made by councillors there that Fianna Fáil had to, had to comment on. Uh, Michael Ring from within your own party has said it is not acceptable that no consultation took place before public reps were told that asylum seekers would be moved into a hotel in Ballinrobe and that County Mayo has taken more than its fair share of migrants and that no consultation taking place, they were just advised it was taking place. So he's weighed in on the matter. Mm. Uh, do you have an issue with that? Well, I disagree with him, frankly, and I disagree with Michael on lots of things, and I agree with him on many things, and I've had this conversation with him privately and publicly. I think ultimately there is a massive differ differentiation between consultation and communication, and again, no community mm. has a veto. But, but I mean, when we have this from a Fine Gael TD, from within your own party, and the party is maybe grappling with mm. the immigration issue, mm. and we know that it is a topic mm. that is... Um, you know, at the forefront of people's minds, certainly when they're polled, that, yeah. you know, now they're beginning to talk about it. Uh, you know, what are you going to do about that? There's dissent within your own party on the matter. Well, I think first and foremost, publicly, I'll say quite clearly that inward migration is a good thing. Immigration is a good thing. Mm. Being in a position to accept refugees, a good thing. It's not just a moral and legal obligation. It is the right thing to do. And I'll say that to Michael. And I think that is absolutely goes to the core of what we of Fine Gael are about as a party. I know the Taoiseach already spoke to one local councillor in Michael in, in Ballinrobe in relation to comments. I have no doubt that he will continue to have a frank discussion. And is there a problem that there appears to be at least dissent at local level? Well, I think there's always a problem when we see dissent and dissent leading to protest. But I think that comes back to, and the point has been made correctly, that government communication needs to improve and needs to improve with local reps and local communities. But that can never be an excuse for the sort of protests and indeed other actions that we've seen from non-political actors in recent weeks. Uh, it can never be an excuse, um, John. I mean, what, what do you say to that? Look, there is um, 
a lot of criticism. The argument is also with all the communication, all the consultation in the world, wouldn't people still be opposing housing migrants in towns and villages in this country? Well, that's the point I made just before the break. Uh, the idea that this is a communications issue is, is nonsensical, as far as I'm, I'm concerned. But that the is, that that is can... widely what we hear from people who are gathered to protest. So you're saying what they, they don't believe that themselves? I think, I think it, it, it creates a lot of problems. So that there are issues. Uh, Neil earlier on referenced an incident where there were people protesting at a building that wasn't going to be a migrant centre at all. Uh, that is perfectly understandable when across the country what happens is people see workmen going into buildings and it's a 50-50 shot, really. We saw a building set alight. It was an empty building that had nothing is, to do with it. It's disgraceful, but we also see... We also see but protests but, but at sites are disgraceful as well, That is happening because of communication strategies. Shoving like the one, phones and builders saying yeah. Ireland for the Irish is disgraceful. Yeah. Do, this is what's happening, to say John. that those things are wrong, and I'm saying that one of the reasons they're happening is because of here. communication strategy. No, I'm not. Don't talk nonsense. You're saying they they, have, we should set an upper cap limit and that people should have a meter. You said that earlier in the show. And I'm yeah, saying there, we I, legally can't do that and we shouldn't do that. You, what do you mean legally you can't do that? You're the government of the country. We have a moral country. obligation yeah, to yeah, receive Is it legal regimes? obligation? No, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm sick is of the moral obligation. legal obligation if someone from the European Union wants to live here that we say no one from the EU can You said you have a legal obligation. You are the government of the country. You were elected by the people to look after the interests of this country. And I say you have a legal obligation and law prevents you from setting particular And the interest of this country is meeting international law and is showing that we are a welcome place for people Who signed up to those international laws? Repeated You've been in government for the last 15, by the 15, people, 15, 15 years. People elect us to you do have, a job and we fulfil a you know, mandate which we you, are doing. You say that we are the, we're the best boys in the class, say, once no, again. It's not about you're being the, the best government boys. In, you're the only government in Europe. The Polish government isn't doing this. The Hungarian the government, government isn't doing this. The Polish government just got thrown out of office and is in breach of European law repeated times and has been fined up to oh, 10 billion euro. So, Let's so say the, the facts if you're going to say this, I think there are a lot of people in the country, frankly, Neil, who would pay 10 million euro. 10 Rather billion, John. Well, I, do we have I, I, 10 billion just to throw around now? You guys Good luck to you. What do you think we can turn to the world, a country like Ireland, and say we are no longer budget? welcoming refugees, have you seen we are no longer budget? immigrants? Are we going to say to 9,000 healthcare workers who came here from outside the European Union, they're no, no, no longer working? Because no, this, this, this is where it leads to, John. This is your This is your thing you can say, like, oh, I'll condemn that, but I won't condemn this. You're deliberately You have to say that it's all immigration or none. That all of a sudden, if you're... No, but you're there trying to deliberately mix it up and saying, oh, I condemn that, but I don't condemn this. Michael Ring that immigration is a good thing. As if people no, who are concerned about this don't think immigration is a good thing. We need to, that. We need to communicate that this is a good thing and who are concerned about this okay. suddenly were look, the 25% of people in the opinion poll. John, you deliberately go out this. You're trying to say that you issue. have a narrow opinion on this. Right. You don't. But no. you are consistently feeding something that leads to an anti immigration rhetoric. They have consequences, John. 25% and you need to of people in the country say that immigration is their top issue and you're blaming me for it? No, it's your fault. That you are deliberately fueling as of other people. The people who is fueling anti immigration sentiment in the country are the government with its immigration policy. We see from it your is media, your we policy. see your articles, we there see was... the fact that you're trying to say that oh, it's, better it's, people it's... are coming in. You aren't accepting truth. You're saying it's, that, it's no, no, you're media. talking it's down to the government of the country. No, no, we're just saying this is your official Where, There, were, there were no anti-immigration protests in 2016. There were only in 2018. There were only in 2019. Your policy has produced this situation. Nobody else's. And you sit there and you pontificate and you pretend you have the moral high ground. You are the person fueling the fire, the protests, the world is on the It is your policy, which is We've had wars in repeated countries. John, John, I'd just like br briefly let uh, Neil respond to that. Pol John's policy going on as if there's somehow uh, policy. We are seeing massive levels of migration across the world at the moment. We see a war in Ukraine. We see wars very near to Europe. We're seeing people on the move. We have a responsibility. We believe in supporting inward migration. It's vital to our economy, vital to our society. We have a fair and strong immigration system. But ultimately, accepting refugees, 
providing refuge is the right thing to do and I stand over that. And this equivocating that people should somehow be allowed have a veto and somehow that we're talking down to people, I think this is leading in to extremes and it is a deliberate tactic that I have you're to call out. You're making them extremists. John, can I ask uh, you, are, are you concerned John. about the extremes that we are seeing? Are you concerned about the arson attack that we of saw in course. Galway? Are you concerned about the ramping up of protests of people doing the likes of what we saw in Clareboarding buses I, and asking I, for identification, I think taking the are, law into their own hands? Does that worry you? Country, it, it, first of all, anybody in this country who doesn't condemn the burning of a building, I mean, there could have been people in that building. There could have been children in that building for all the people who knew. It was a matter of luck. And this is the case of any building that's burned. If you're going to do that, you're doing something that's disgraceful and wrong. But we are seeing, and, and, and notwithstanding that condemnation, we are seeing communities that are acting in increasingly desperate ways, that are fearful, that are concerned, that are listening to what Neil just said and said, this you're is not going to stop. Sorry, I just need to uh, you know, open that. Because you're saying it, you're, people are reacting in increasingly desperate ways. Do you think setting fire to a building that was due to house uh, migrants is just an increasingly desperate move. One of the four councillors uh, in, in Galway who was uh, involved in backing that protest phrased it yesterday. He said, I condemn it utterly, but I think the people who did it believe they were protecting their community. That was, those are the words of Councillor Seamus Walsh in what Galway. What do you think of that? What um, do you think of him I saying think, that? I think what happened was disgraceful, but I think he's probably right. I think the pers people who did it believe that they are protecting their communities. From what? Um, from the kind of stuff that you've just been saying. From, from housing fact, refugees. Yeah, from the fact from that there's, people. there's no limit on the number we will take. If there's another war tomorrow, we'll take another well, like, I, I, I'm sorry, I have to, it, I'm sorry, Baron, I've spoken a lot and I don't mean to this. There's nothing but we this can do. We're the government that, of the country, we can't govern the country. We just have to take as many people as we possibly we can. And God help us. And if you're okay, upset John, about that, John, it's your fault. That's what you're telling them. No, I'm not. And you're deliberately. You're saying they're protecting. Rewind it at home. Listen to what he said. Sorry, just let me. I'll make this point briefly because we've dominated and it's not fair to We have to move on. Or indeed, you are people at home. You're saying that people are protecting their community from refugees. And I think this feeds into no, the... I didn't. I didn't no, no, you literally, you literally say I that. I said, that's what Seamus Walsh said. And, I think and you agree with him and you understand with him. But basically, what you're putting out that message, that therefore there's something to be feared about. It's not. And we have to put the message out that right. when refugees come into a community, they're supported, communities are supported and services are provided. And it's something that we should do and we will do. And it should be reflected upon fairly and not used as a wedge to drive fear and misinformation. Oh. I'll leave it at that. OK, all right. We're going to move on um, to another uh, subject now. And that is around uh, child support payments, um, because... There are maintenance payment reforms on the way. Uh, the aim of this, Louise Bayless, is to try and clamp down on those people, those parents who are not paying up on child support. Do you think that the changes will go a long way to, towards making the system fairer, uh, towards making you know, families more secure, especially, I, I especially the parents of yeah, those yeah, with children? I would definitely hope so. I mean, this comes from the CEDAW... Um, recommendation in 2017 where they recommended that the state establish whether we need a statutory maintenance agency. The, at the time Regina Doherty set up a committee chaired by Judge Catherine Murphy. We all fed in with submissions and there were recommendations that there was a statutory maintenance agency. That didn't happen. Four out of seven said yes we should have it but the minister overruled that and instead said we would get better enforcement of the court orders. We were bitterly disappointed by that. However, while I say we were bitterly disappointed, 
We were very supportive of the report that came out from Helen McEntee today. Some of the recommendations are really powerful and if implemented will make a huge difference in the lives of the children and the poorest women in the country. For instance, we looked at a survey last year that Spark did and out of that, 30, only 35% of people were receiving maintenance regularly in time. Mm. Other people, you know, 36% of people were in huge arrears with maintenance and had just given up even going through the court system. Because they, they'll have to go back and through the courts. This, the, I suppose the aim is to make it I suppose, more enforceable and, and streamlined. Um, Keith, your view on this as a family law solicitor, like one of the recommendations is that child maintenance could be uh, deducted from social welfare payments, but also that the whole payment could go through revenue um, and, and arranged that way. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you make of this? What do you make of these changes? Helen McEntee said she'd, she'd like to see them, you know, coming in quickly. Um, do you well, believe I, I fully agree. I, I think they're very welcome. I have a slightly different view to Louise in terms of the child maintenance agency, which have, would have involved the creation of another Quango, another state agency. And I think had we gone down that route, we wouldn't be sitting here today with very implementable, practical, pragmatic proposals. So I'm glad we've got these proposals. I hope they're put into action and they're implemented immediately. I do welcome the intervention uh, of the revenue commissioners. For example, if you don't pay your tax, you could possibly go to jail, face a fine. You don't have the same problems if you don't pay your maintenance. So I, I'm hugely Does, in that, favor does of this. that mean that possibly, uh, explain to me, child support could be taxed? Like if it's going through revenue. How does that, how does that well, change the payment? I think it's payment? more revenue as a collection body because revenue is very effective at getting money for the state. I, I, yeah, I think um, Senator Lynn Ruan brought in a bill. It's still in legislative yeah. um, draft stage at the moment, but it would have something similar to that where it would be collected through revenue and it would be in a similar way to property tax. So it's not a new tax, but if you don't pay your property tax, your the, you know revenue can go directly to your employer and deduct it from your wages okay. at source. So it would be something similar. Yeah. Keith, just to and just to clarify on the on the agency, having an agency, um, I suppose Louise's idea would be say bring in an agency to handle all of this. We see it in places like the UK and do away with the court system, which is arduous for families and difficult and and hard when someone doesn't get a payment that they then have to go through the courts in order to receive the child support. Well, no, I. I, that, but again, I think you have to look at how it worked in other jurisdictions and how it continues to work. And the person that we should be looking after are the children and usually the mother, and in many mm. cases, the unmarried mother. Married people are dealt with differently in the court system here mm. in the between the circuit court for divorce and separation and then unmarried parents tend to go in the district court. There's um, also proposals for mandatory mediation information sessions. They're generally to be welcome, but obviously if there's any domestic violence, there's an Istanbul convention that prohibits mandatory mediation. It doesn't prohibit mandatory mediation sessions, but why would you go through a mediation session if you're a victim of domestic violence, so there's domestic violence there. So, th and I mean, I'm hugely in favour of the awareness campaigns as well, that there's a soft and a hard approach. The soft approach is ensure that everyone's aware of it. The hard approach is if you don't pay your maintenance, that you will be pursued. And if there is an order of the court, I'm in favour of the court orders because I think they do make it better in the long run to recover monies. And in particular, that the statute of limitations is now going to be abolished, which means there will be no... Uh, prohibition on your recovering back maintenance All right. you're entitled to for your children. Uh, one of the recommendations is exploring the possibility of suspended sentences for non-payment. Um, is that something you'd be in favour of, Neil? 
I think is a very last resort. And I think a lot of this is the last resort, but equally there's, there was over 5,000 applications to district court for maintenance in 2021. So there is a need for this. And I think it's a stage thing. So it's not all about the punitive. Let's not go straight to that part. We just Let's need another family court. I mean, is it an infrastructure problem, problem at courts level that we need to look at here when you see that le level of backlog? No, I think, no, it's more, that isn't about backlog. That's about the amount of people who are forced to have to go through the maintenance courts. And I think what we have here is 26 recommendations that are easily re um, implementable. They can be done as of tomorrow. The Minister, uh, Minister McEntee with Minister Humphreys have started work on this. We'll get in the process to get this brought in as quickly as possible. Okay, and on that issue around, um, you know, potentially looking at suspended se sentences, of course, all of this has to be looked at at by a cross-departmental group, I think, Louise. Um, what, would, what would you say to that? Um, you know, it's a, it's a carrot and stick approach, or more of a stick approach, really, isn't yeah, it? If you, don't pay, if, you, if you don't pay up, then you... I mean, you're not going to land yourself in jail as a suspended sentence, but you will have... Yeah, you know, to be honest, it it's record. more important that the collection happens. We're not really... Sh we don't really care how it happens, just that the collection happens. And, and I take on Keith's point about, the, you know, the district court and the circuit court order, but at the end of the day, there is a problem with enforcement, regardless of whether the order is from circuit court or district court. An order can issue in a mm. divorce, if you're still in the exact same position, that there is no proper enforcement orders, you know, bench warrants aren't executed and all of these different things that happen. You know, even something as simple as an attachment of earnings, people always say, oh, well, that's a simple way you get that, the attachment mm. of earnings and it's deducted directly from his work. But that is directed to the employer. So all he has to do is move jobs and that order is now invalid. All right. What about people who may say, look, yeah, look, I could pay the child support, but circumstances changed or, you know, I lost my job. And I mean, John, from your reading of this, is, is there a protection there when circumstances change from uh, the paying parent? Yes, I, I, first of all, I, I would look at this from the point of view that if you are the paying parent, you do an obligation and your obligations change. But you don't just get to stop paying maintenance. You've got to go through some kind of process. You've got to go to the courts. You've got to go to your, 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 yeah. your co-parent. Yeah. You make a variation order or whatever. I have to say, I think, uh, just in relation to what Louise was saying there, I noticed one of the proposals today was to make an attachment order against somebody's PPS number so, so that that problem will be taken away. If somebody is required to pay maintenance and they, they then change jobs, you don't have to go through the whole process again to attach their PPS number. I think, in fairness to the government, I'm in disagreement with the government, I think this is one of the best things that they've done um, in recent months, and it's good. I just want to say, because I think it should be mentioned out of fairness, that while there are many women in this situation who can't get maintenance, I think the government could do something similar for the many, many fathers who can't get access despite having access agreements. Um, and I think, for example, there are a lot of men out there who do pay maintenance but don't get to see their kids who'll be who are sitting, Neil, waiting patiently for the government to do something, I think that's something you should consider. All right, OK, uh, we're going to leave that there for now. Let's see if something briefly to say on that, Neil. No, I actually agree with John, okay. believe it or not. All right, and I think okay. that's something we'll that we can there look at, agreement. but there's not ev always a, not every, every situation's the same, so it requires a bit Very of well. OK, there we leave it. My thanks to Neil, to Louise, to John and to Keith, to Joe, who also joined us uh, earlier on in the programme. Coming up next, Irish success at the Golden Globe. Stay with us. successful night for the Irish in Hollywood after Killian Murphy scooped a Golden Globe for his performance in Oppenheimer. Irish actors made up half of the shortlist for Best Actor in a Drama Film, one of the most competitive categories at the awards. Oppenheimer, TV show Succession and Poor Things were the big winners at the ceremony in California. All, all my fellow nominees, 
if you're Irish or not, you're all <laughs> legends. Your stunning work, I salute you. Um, to, all my, to all my reps, all my team, uh, thank you so much, you're the best. Uh, to my family, I'm the luckiest man. Uh, love you. Thanks so much, guys. Genuinely delighted mm. with Killian Murphy. I'm joined by Brian Lloyd, movies editor at entertainment.ie, to talk about the Golden Globes and the big winners. Of course, Killian Murphy stealing mm. the show for the Irish. Uh, he wasn't the only Irish winner, and we'll get a little bit to that. Yeah. But on his win, yeah. uh, he would have been widely tipped to pick up the gong there. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I think the performance that he gave in Oppenheimer has been so, you know, critically lauded. And I think even, you know, if you follow bookmakers and all the rest of it, he is the clear and open favourite to win. Mm. I mean, more will be revealed as the weeks go on. You'll obviously have the SAG After Awards and then there'll be the DGAs and the Producers Guild Award and the Critics' Choice Awards. But yeah, I mean, he is the clear favourite to win Best Actor at the Oscars. So. Yeah, and he, he but of course, um, you know, he lost out to, or Barry Kogan lost out to. He did. Um, but but Saltburn is a lot though. Have you watched it yet? What's that? Have you watched Saltburn yet? No, I have not. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. I can see why people. I can see why the Golden Globes didn't necessarily respond to it. It's a film that provokes a lot of strong reactions. Okay, without giving any spoilers, but a lot of people, I suspect, may may have seen it as it's streaming. Yeah. Um, and other Irish wins. It was it was a big success story, really. Apart from all the nominations that mm. were there, we also saw you know producers picking up gongs, an Irish editor as well. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and doing, doing very well on still Michael J. Fox movie, um, yeah. Michael Hart there. Uh, it, was, it was a good night all round for the Irish. Definitely, yeah. I mean, to the industry here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Poor Things is produced by Element Pictures. That's uh, Ed Guiney and Andrew Lowe. They've obviously been in the Oscars before. They were there for a room, of course. Lenny Abramson was, direct, was uh, nominated for Best mm. Director as well. So, yeah, I mean, Element Pictures have done very, very well out of it. As you mentioned there already, the editor for uh, still a Michael J. Fox movie was the great documentary that's probably going to win best documentary at the Oscars as well so that's a great Irish aspect of it as well yeah I mean I think it's one of those things isn't it that like you know the Irish uh, at these award ceremonies in the film industry they do, generally do tend to punch well above our weight you see Barry Keogh and you see Paul Meskell in there as well so we do very very well uh, this was the first ceremony without the involvement of the Hollywood foreign press uh, what's the significance of that? Well, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association were essentially the body that ran the Golden Globes for the past 81 years. They were embroiled in a massive uh, scandal in 2020 when it was revealed that in their something like 76-year history at that stage, they had never had a black member. Also, as well, there was a lot of uh, controversy surrounding the fact that the likes of Netflix, Amazon Prime, Warner Brothers, a lot of the studios were taking this very, very small group of journalists. I think there was only about like 80 members. They would bring them off to these star-studded uh, junkets, put them up in five-star hotels. They'd give them all sorts of lavish gifts. And then the inference then was, was that the implication was with that they would nominate their films and TV shows for it. So you had, for example, say, Netflix's Emily in Paris, which was pretty critically reviled, yet that somehow managed to turn up and be nominated for... In, in, its, right. in its category. So. so people took issue with that. Yeah. Just on the Golden Globes, like, do they still matter? Do these big award ceremonies matter? Like, we saw the success, say, of Barbie at, yeah. the, at the box office. Then we did not see that uh, play out at the, at, at the Golden Globes. Yeah. So, I mean, does it relate to people's, you know, uh, real life no, interest of course in the it movies? Does. No, no. Has it, it ever, is the question? Has it ever, but yeah. But does it, does it even less so now? 
I think so, yeah. I mean, the reality of it is that, like, uh, that controversy that I was talking about, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, the Golden Globes was always the sort of the minnow, if you know what I mean. Mm. It was always the one that everyone kind of looked down on that was derided. I mean, it was no secret that people felt that the Golden Globes had none of the sort of respectability that the, that the Oscars had. Because the Oscars, you know, it was actors, directors, writers, people who actually worked in the industry, whereas the Golden Globes was 50 or so foreign journalists who had very, very limited scope and very, very limited, uh, I guess, influence on the industry. Yet they managed to wield all this power by the Golden Globes. So when the Golden Globes was essentially bought by Dick Clark Productions and they dissolved the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, they then felt that this was going to be the way that it was going to be restarted. But then, you know, the host that they got for it was a guy called Joe Coy, who was this comedian who, I mean, I've never heard of him. And by all accounts, he completely bombed with the audience. And then on top of that, like you mentioned, Barbie was this massive cultural moment, yet I think the only thing it won was like best box office and cinematic performance, okay. which was a bit of a, I think it was a bit of an also ran okay. award. So look at like, I mean, is this a good portent for what we're likely to see uh, the Oscars? It is, it is, yes. Killian I mean, Murphy in particular? Yeah, Killian Murphy definitely. I mean, he is the clear favorite. I mean, I think even if he didn't win at the Golden Globes, he would still be the clear favorite to win at the Oscars. Same goes for Oppenheimer and Christopher Nolan. He is still the clear favorite. When it comes to the TV awards, like the Emmys and all the rest of it, the Bear, Succession, they were always going to win. Um, but no, is it, a, is it an accurate um, portent? Not really, not as much as it once was, I think. Mm -hmm. But it still holds a bit of clout anyway. And it's all well, I mean, people enjoy a it. A lot like, of clout. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, there's red carpet. Like, everyone likes to see the famous people doing, the, doing stuff. Like, it's, well, we'll, it's a bit of fun. We'll always take a good Irish win. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll always take a win. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for bringing us, uh, giving us a review of uh, the Golden Globes, in which we saw, of course, Killian Murphy taking uh, the best actor nod and plenty of other Irish success. That is it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. From all the late team here, Good night, Tigger.